Thank you, Pastor Billy. You know, I was thinking that the first in people on the battlegrounds in the most difficult incursions and crises are next-generation soldiers and warriors who are 18 to 25 years of age. And while the U.S. military has every generation represented, those primarily who fought in those wars that you saw on screen, on the ground, and in the air were primarily young people fighting in this generation, in their present generation, so that there could be future generations. And so with that introduction and that Veterans Day frame, we want to talk this morning in part two of our series, Living Beyond Ourselves, by talking about living beyond our generation. Because legacy has to do with that which we leave behind. And so this past week, I was in Turkey, and specifically the highlight of that going to historic Ephesus, where the arguably the mightiest church in Christian history was planted and grown. It was a Roman outpost, rich in commerce and trade, flowing in cash, but being in Ephesus where we see the location for the church to which the book of Ephesians was written to was spine-tingling in some points and chicken skin. And you saw Roman architecture, incredible. They, they built to last. They built knowing that they were building for future generations. And the Roman Empire lasted a thousand years. And today in Western society, our system of governance... Uh, military, education, architecture, engineering, landscaping, city planning, and road building. We have inherited a, inherited a lot of that wisdom from the Roman Empire. A thousand years it lasted. It became the cradle of Christianity. We know the Empire of Rome persecuted Christians, but they couldn't. The more they persecuted Christians, the more Christians multiplied till. In 313 A.D., Constantine, then the emperor of Rome, said, if you can't beat them, join them. And Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire that used to persecute them. But that's another story because comfort resulted in compromise and the demise of the true Christian faith in that era. But suffice to say this, when you build with eternity in mind, when you build beyond your generation, greatness occurs. There, the, the building of Roman roads allowed the gospel to go to everywhere. That was their greatest gift, is that the Romans didn't know that, but they were building roads so that the gospel could go everywhere in the then known world. So you see some of the pictures and you know, I don't like to be that guy that says, I travel and let me show you my pictures that you endure. But today I will. <laughs> um, that's the great amphitheater, part of it anyway. And it's, it's deceiving in its look because it goes way down below what you see. It seats 25,000 people. It was build, built with brilliant acoustic engineering. And so if you stand on the bottom, and which you, which you can't see, okay, Okay, well, anyway, the, the amphitheater there, if you stand on the bottom and you 
you go up to the top, you can hear the guy speaking at the bottom. It's like that was the sound system. The Romans built the amphitheater with incredible knowledge of acoustics, and it's still standing. And it's, it's just really cool. And so the other picture with me there, I just, that's not about me, but again, if you see, there's a road goes all the way down, part of the streets of Ephesus. And a lot of those structures, I mean, Paul, Timothy, they walked there. The apostle John, who died in Ephesus, he was exiled on Patmos, but he died in this place. Um, you, you, it's just, wow, I mean, stuff this old, centuries and centuries old, is still standing, and you could just feel the uh, the moment. Well, when you when you just tell, let me show you one more Hall of Tyrannus. This is our every nation. We're part of a, a larger family of churches called the Every Nation Family of Churches. So I'm part of it. This is the Every Nation Global Leadership Team with some of the wives in there. Now, I mean, they had to come because they had to, you know, do the tourist thing and, and all those kinds of things. And that, that's okay. My wife, that's too long for her. It was too long for me. I'm a guy that gets jet lag thinking about going anywhere. I get jet lag flying the helo, okay? So this is the Hall of Tyrannus where we know from Scripture Paul made disciples, and when you combine the amphitheater, where sometimes he preached, and the Hall of Tyrannus, where he had one-on-one -on -one meetings and small group meetings on a regular basis, Scripture says that from Ephesus and because of Ephesus, the gospel went everywhere in the then-known world. And everyone in Asia heard the gospel so that there was no one else to tell. Amazing. So Ephesus was a Roman city. It was a Roman outpost where the largest church in that time was, was, was planted. It grew to 50,000 people under Paul's planting, and then he passed it on generationally. It was a transfer to Timothy, his spiritual son, Timothy. Now, with that in mind, the permanence of Rome, the greatness of Ephesus, we begin our time together today. In Psalm chapter 78, this is a historical psalm about generational transfer and perpetuity. The psalmist writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, and cline your ears to the ears, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandment. So what is this text, this passage speaking to us about? What would the Holy Spirit highlight? Allow me to share three things. First of all, there must be a transmission of story. Transmission of story. It says here in the opening text, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. So we are to communicate to future generations the stories of Scripture, because that is actual history. It highlight what God has done before, but if we're here, 
We want to tell our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren what God has done in us, through us, and for us as well. The story of Scripture and the story of what God is doing in our lives must be intentionally and deliberately transferred. I used to be a school teacher in a Christian school for five and a half years. And I found that sometimes parents would want me to tell the stories that they're not telling their children. But it must start with the parents. It must start with your bloodline. So parents, if you are here, please, this is the time to tell your children the stories of Scripture and also rehearse to them the stories of what God has done in you, through you, and for you. Because there is a generational transfer that happens. And may I add, maybe there's a genetic transfer that happens. And this includes uh, the theme of legacy. The gospel is the story of Scripture. All of the Bible is a story. The Bible is a narrative that points to the coming of Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection, the gospel story. The arc of Scripture points to Jesus. All of the Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, the book of Revelation, what will end today, is not the revelation of the end times. It is the revelation of who Jesus is, and secondarily, his plan for the ages. Now, secondarily, there must be a transfer of truth. So there must be a transmission of story. There must be a transfer of truth. We go back to verses 5 and 7. We reread again a portion of our opening text. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So we are to pass on the commandments of God's word to future generations. And you know, when Scripture highlights the word law, command, and it repeats a word, the word command is often used in a place where you and I won't naturally do it. That we need to be reminded to do it. We, may, we need to be charged to do it. Because we will tend not to do it because we get caught up in the busyness of life and making a living. So scripture here in this historic psalm gives us that charge. Well, we are to do so in a way that next generation beyond us, know them, share them, keep them, and rely, come to rely, and know the one who wrote them. Jesus. Tell them. So how does that happen? I used to be an educator. Repetition. For someone or anyone to learn a skill or to acquire knowledge, it must be said repeatedly. Advertisers will tell you this, right? We get sick of seeing commercials, advertisements that bombard us. Guess what? That's, they do that intentionally because once we're sick of it, we've learned it. And Scripture, in a sense, not quite the same. The principle of repetition really works. So my mother bombarded me when I was, I remember this, ages three to five. She continually read me Bible stories from these children little books that each book carried a major story of Scripture. I didn't come to Jesus till I was in college. But in those years, I grew up always believing that Jesus was the Savior of the world. I grew up understand there was something that was planted in me that would germinate later as a young adult. But the seeds of story and the transfer of truth 
must be given as early as possible, as repeatedly as possible. And let me just say this. For there to be a transfer of truth, we need to be able to say something repeatedly to the next generation, but in different ways through different voices. So when I came to the Lord, I was so glad that I had a college campus ministry to be a part of. Although my mother shared the gospel with me, I was mummed out after a while. I didn't want to hear my mother preach to me anymore. It's not that I didn't love my mother. It's just that I just had too much of mother. So a college campus minister nine years older than I was got a hold of me at the University of Hawaii and spent one-on-one time with me, taught me the truths of Scripture, and led me to Christ. But my mother, when I was three to five years old, planted the seeds of both the story and scriptural truth. And you know what the Bible says, when you sow, you will reap. And so, Eddie Asato, who was the founding pastor of our church in Maui, was the one who had the honor of leading me to the Lord, discipling me, walking me into a small group. Now, what's important about this is not only did I have Eddie's fresh voice, but I could hear my peers and the stories that the Lord was doing through their lives through the lens of Scripture because we had small groups like we have today. We take Scripture and we process it for life application and let it transform us inside out. And so the combination of the one-to-one, my mother starting, then to a campus minister, then the church providing the environment of that small group where something, there was something you catch about the transfer of truth for me as a college student. Well, the journey of this church, my own children have been able to benefit from the fact they they probably got mama and daddied out, but they had children's ministry and fresh voices. They had small groups where they could inculcate truth from their friends. We had not only kids directors, but youth pastors and college campus ministers that they could get the repetition of both story and truth circulating through their soul. And it was repeatedly. So there was a transfer of truth and transfer generationally, but Faye and I couldn't have done it by ourselves. That's why it's important if you have children to get them in the kids' ministry here. You don't get that on Zoom. You don't get that online. You get that in person. In in an incarnation of being here, there's an impartation of truth and story. It's something the Holy Spirit does when you sacrifice and exercise faith to be in person. We're way past the narrative of the pandemic being dangerous. At some point, we have to exercise faith. But allow me to say this. We had uncles and aunties. We had uncles and aunties that reached for the next generation beyond just their own children, their own sons and daughters. And the beauty of our church when it started was we had older adults opening their homes and opening literally their vehicles to get people to church, to minister to them during the week in small group settings and social settings for discussion, prayer, and teaching. And it was a multi-generational mix I have vivid memories of Pastor Camille packing her van that was breaking apart at the seams with like what seemed like endless dozens of people. 
I can tell you about Fred and Elaine Rivera. I can tell you about person after person that that just we just said this is our church and these children are our children. So Pastor Billy, who was 15 when he helped start this church, uh, now is there's a generational transfer. What he received, he's now giving. I think we have a picture of that. This is what Pastor Billy does when he's bored. Okay. What better idea than to get adolescent middle school kids in your house? Okay, I was a middle school teacher. Let me tell you, that's the, that's the phase of life of temporary insanity, right? When they're children below the age of 11, you tell them to jump, they say, how high? When they become middle schoolers, you tell them to jump, they say, how come? Right? In high school, they say, go away. Well, this is what Pastor Billy does. And um, I think this is really cool. Actually, there's shots where there's more of these kids. But we have to understand, he does this regularly. And it's not just Micah. It's not just Madison. It's other people's kids. So he's now become an uncle to other people's kids. But it's both and. It's we as parents or grandparents doing it with the uncles and aunties beyond our family working together so there's repetition through fresh, different voices. And these guys right up here, they need to hear each other that God is working in each other's lives. All right? And and what that does, that keeps Pastor Billy young. I mean, if I look like Pastor Billy, I'd be in the movies, okay? But God may be looking like this, so I'd stay in the ministry. That's for free. All right. <laughs> now, so there's a transfer of truth, but again, let me just say, we need uncles and aunties today. We need uncles. I see Coach Rod York there. What he does for the Mililani football team, he, he and Lynn, they're uncle and auntie, mom and dad to many of some of the kids on the team. They don't have parents. See, God calls us into, into becoming people that look at the next generation as fractured and broken as they are, and we provide a place for them. And we're shaping the future today. We get to do that. That's our call. So thirdly, if legacy and generational transfers to happen, there must be a healthy transition for legacy. So later on in chapter 78 of the book of Psalm, the narrative continues, and the psalmist writes, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. Now, there were 12 tribes in Israel. Jesus would emerge out of the tribe of Judah. All right. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David. Jesus came out of the lineage of David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewe. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So during a time of corruption and compromise, the Lord chose David, the teenage shepherd boy. And he was called to be king and anointed to be king when he was a kid, when he was a teenager. How many of you would anoint your teenage adolescent son to be king? Nobody in their right mind would do that. But the Lord did. And he looked at the youngest, but it would take years to form David's character. There was some injustice and suffering involved, but eventually... Eventually, there would be a transition from Saul, 
who only lived for himself and his generation, which resulted in deep corruption in the people of God, there would be a transition in God's time to David, whose character had been formed through pain. But here's what happens to make a long story short. We know Bible history says that David, although he was flawed and he had his faults, he recovered, God restored him, and he knew that he would have to do what Saul didn't do. He would lay the groundwork, gather the resources for an investment into succession leadership so that his son Solomon could succeed. And Solomon we know. I mean, Solomon has all the props of being the smartest, the wisest, the richest. Solomon led Israel through a 40-year period of what is known as the Golden Age, or the people of God, I should say. Southern. Anyway, let me just, let me just say prosperity, flourishing, success, peace, riches. The people of God were the shining jewel to the Near Eastern world. And they knew it was because of God. But along the way, Solomon got proud and he began to keep and accumulate rather than to share and to dispense. And he became a mono-generational king. He lived only for himself, only for his generation, much like my generation has lived. And this, I can say this because I'm one of it. The baby boomer generation has been the richest, most successful achievement-oriented generation that for the large part has compromised future generations by forgetting to raise kids appropriately in the faith and for the future. And I say that as one of the guilty of my own generation. Solomon was the baby boomer of his time. Now, if you're a baby boomer, okay, look, don't walk out. Stay right there. I'm just saying we get a chance to redeem ourselves if we haven't done it right. We get a chance to have a do-over if we will look beyond our generation. That is an intentional, deliberate move. So, my transition, August 21st of this year, would have happened sooner if it weren't for the pandemic. I did not feel that I could step out during a crisis that puzzled everyone. But it was five years in the making. Five years ago, serious talks began to happen, and we began to... Uh, purposely and incrementally inform our staff that this was going to happen and who would be in charge. So they could get used to the thought and they could adjust their mind to change because change is hard for most people. In 2019, I believe, we rebranded from Grace Bible Pearlside to Pearlside Church. That was intentional. That was intentional and planned and we knew that that would be followed by a transition in this main congregation as lead pastor to Pastor Billy Lyle. And let me say this, he's not the lead pastor of Pearlside Church's main congregation here because he's my son-in-law. Did you hear that? A pin dropped. <laughs> Somebody actually burped. You could hear it over in the left corner. He is the lead pastor because just like the Lord anointed David, the Lord called and anointed Pastor Billy. And he is the best. It's not his degrees. He's got a business degree from UH. He's got two master's degrees and a doctorate. As much as I appreciate the education, that's not why he's the lead pastor here. And he's not the lead pastor because he's my son-in-law. I'm not into nepotism. 
He's the lead pastor because he's the called of God. But he's also the lead pastor because he's younger, far younger. He is my next generation. And he's, listen, the way things work is old people draw old people. That doesn't mean you're old. You're here today, okay, because you're a dedicated part of our church. Young people draw young people. People of one generation draw another generation. They say in the, in the area of ministry, ministers will draw people at best 15 years older, 15 years younger. I'm going to be 68 on Tuesday. If I kept leading as the lead pastor, you would be surrounded by bald heads, graying heads, and a lot of women who use hair color. <laughs> and I, can, I told myself, there has to be generational transfer because I, I'm not going to be Solomon. I'm not going to. Solomon actually tried to get rid of his successors. He didn't do for the future what his dad prepared for him. And I guess here's the thought. What is it that we must do because everyone here has a generation that's beyond them. What is it that we must or can do to contribute to the development, the growth, and the perpetuity of future generations? Something to think about, maybe discuss in our relational small group settings um, this week. But there must be an intentional development or, or investment in the next generation or legacy is compromised and tarnished. So let me finish where we began. We talked about the great church in Ephesus. 50,000 people in a city of 250,000 people. So our gospel penetrance of 20%. Pretty impressive. Okay. Un I mean, pretty incredible. And yet, Jesus talks to seven churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And he gives five of them a commendation and an admonishment. Two of them have no rebuke. You would think that Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, would be one of those that would have no rebuke, no correction. But to the contrary, Jesus is speaking to the angel of the church in Ephesus and says, Right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden candlesticks, or lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. For if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Woe. 50,000 people, all of Asia heard the gospel. This was a missionary, church-planting, location-sending, world missions church. All of Asia heard the gospel. This was the headquarters for Paul and Timothy. Wow! And the Lord had something against them. They were a prosperous church. They were a large church. They were a successful church. One hour away in either direction were the other six churches in the book of Revelation, which are in Turkey, where I was. So when I'm at Ephesus, the hub, I'm thinking about all of this. Thinking about all of this, thinking, wow, 
you had something against this church. It's a, you walked the streets of Ephesus. You're thinking, man, Hall of Tyrannus, the amphitheater, and you're going, wow, they did so much. You know, and a little bit of me said, Lord, how could you? That's a little harsh. But when he says, you've left your first love, he's not talking about devotional love or reading your Bible or prayer or worship. He was talking about the mission. The mission of sharing the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, continuing to train and send because Ephesus was an apostolic training center. That's exactly our prophetic call. We have the same call as Ephesus here at Pearlside. The reason why Pearlside was called, we are to make baby churches in as many ways as possible, in as many places as possible, through as many people as possible. We are not called to revel in our bigness. We are not called to revel in our success or size or our age. We are called to train up young leaders, next generation leaders, and send them to plant. The way you keep the future secure, humanly speaking, is have babies who have babies who have babies, right? It is said parents tell me that if they knew how wonderful having grandchildren were, would be, they would skip having children to have grandchildren, which we know is biologically impossible, right? But that's how the generational future is constructed. You have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids. What's well, the same way? We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and the future is forged with promise and security. You have baby churches. You plant families that have families that have families that have families. And we're investing into the future that way. So at the end of November, we're taking that special legacy offering on the Gratitude Weekend, Thanksgiving Weekend, specifically to plant next generation locations and churches locally, nationally, and globally. And we have church planters in the pipeline as we speak. And you'll hear more of, of that in the days to come. We get to invest in the future generations. What happened with Ephesus? They stopped doing that. The mission settled for maintenance and probably comfort settled in. They realized we have done enough. No one would have argued with them. Everyone, the church in Ephesus was the church. But Jesus said, you've stopped doing what, I, what you used to do, what I called you to do. You're not here to reach a certain size and say, we have done enough. There is a world to reach. God has called us to reach every nation in our generation. We are part of the every nation family. But we are also called to reach every generation in every nation. And the tendency is we'll settle for reaching our own generation or just next generation people in our family, our kids and grandchildren. We know what the Lord calls us to go beyond that. And that's an intentional, intentional move. And I, I say this as we close today. May the Lord help us to keep our first love and continue having babies. That's, I know some of the women are going, no, no, Pastor. No more unless he has them. <laughs> they say that the world would be a very small place if men had to give birth. But you know what I mean. We're called to continually make disciples because there's people who don't know the Lord. We're called to continually have our small groups multiply. We're continually called 
to plant new churches, new campus ministries, and not only from our generation, but future generations. There's a deep concern. Generation Z that's coming up behind the millennials, most of that generation doesn't believe the Bible. And they're going to define the future. They're going to define the the moral fabric of our country. Most of them are very liberal and anti-biblical. That's because there's not been a transfer of truth and story and legacy into their hearts. And we're going to have to, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the one who has the gospel, that we're to carry it into the world. It's not about say, oh man, look, this is good. We have a wonderful church. You know, we have, we have so many locations. We already have church plants. We've done it. We're 28 years old. We have world-class air conditioning in this building. Let's just chill out and become a country club. And the Lord will say, Pearlside, I'll remove your candlestick from its place. How can we apply Next generation dynamics. You can be an uncle and an auntie. You can say, Pastor Billy, I can help you with the middle schoolers. You can visit our youth outreach community center. You can be here at 5. You can be here for the 6 o'clock, 745 service and see what happens with a generation beyond your Friday night. You can visit, see what happens with our youth ministry, and you can say, I'm signing up to be an uncle and an auntie but also for kids that don't know the Lord. So on Tuesday, I make 68. So on my birthday, I do what I do to stay young. Even though I'm not positionally the chaplain for the UH football team anymore, they're struggling, they need help. So I go, and every now and then, I just, it's 7 in the morning. Okay, so why they practice that early, I'll never know. But I stand on the side, and I'll try to bring someone with me. Joe Onosai, usually I force him. I know he don't want to go. It's young. But he says, Norman, I can't say no to you. I said, Joe, you're a legend. There's books written about you. You're on the wall of fame. Okay, come on. Help a brother. So we'll go out, stand there. And here's why we're standing there. It's not for football. It's for the people we meet that rim the field. Media, education, government. It's for the relationships we can build with the young coaches because they're young to me. They're in their 30s, early 40s at best. Coach Timmy is 42, 41. It's for reaching to me those who are of another younger generation. You know, I thought I'd be, every time I, I, I told myself, I'm done with the program. I'm no longer a position chaplain. As a withy who used to be on our staff, I mean, uh, it's, it's all yours. Every time I say that, the Lord drags me back in there because I get invited to speak. They need something. They want kind of an uncle. They call me uncle over there. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. Once they call you pops, you've crossed the line. <laughs> so I want to order all the players to say uncle. Everybody repeat after me. Uncle, uncle, okay? So recently... One of the coaches, you know, reached out and he says, look, I, I need help. And he's far younger than I am. One of the top coaches. I'm not going to tell you who it is. And for the next 44 weeks, we'll sit down together for discipleship. Generational transfer of story, truth, and legacy. He understands Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord. He says, stuff, it scares me, giving up all. So we're going to, we started on Friday, we're going to continue that journey. And here's what I told him. And also, I'm in touch with one of the key players on the team. 
through DM. Isn't that cool? It feels cool for an old guy to say DM. Not DM. I know it sounds like a lot. Okay, direct message. <laughs> and I'm in his ear. Had a chance to spend some time with the players. Got to speak to the team not that long ago. You know what I found out? They don't care how old you are. They care that you care. That's all. It's the language of love. And so I told them, when you're on the field or in your coach's box, you are not alone. Because see, when I was chaplain, I prayed through every snap. I did it for June. I did it for Coach Mack. A little bit for Coach Graham. I'm going to do it for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. Because the Lord is with you. Just include him. Whenever you're in a throughout the game, just say, Lord, help me to make the right call. Help me to make plays. Put me, help me to stay focused. But know this, that on every moment of every play, I'm praying for you. So last night, I did. I was so exhausted after that three-and-a-half-hour game, I felt like I played the game. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, I know. But I've done it. My wife will tell you I do that. And you know what that does for me? It gives me a heart for those kids. It gives me a heart for those young coaches. I guess that's my mission field. I'm an irrelevant non-athlete, skinny old Asian uncle who should really be with some commuter nerds or upcoming accountants. But God's put me on a football field. And I found this. The kids like that. They like having older people around. And one asked me, when are you coming again? And I lied. I told him next week, but actually I was in Istanbul. So it'll be this week. I could be anywhere on my birthday, but I'm going to be with young people. How about you? Where is that next generation pocket for you? Pastor Billy, you can all go to his house. <laughs> but your house can be the next house. You can be an uncle, an auntie, or even a pops. Because we need every generation to shape the next generation.